0: for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Off The Beat & Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. And today's episode is great. The reason it's great is because of the guest. And that guest is Peter Erickson-Stackey, who is Alberta Cross. Alberta Cross are a band that I discovered seven, eight years ago. I first heard the track "Lucy Rider" and it absolutely blew me away. Uh, I then went out and bought the the first mini album, and I've been on board ever since. And I've been chatting to Peter online for a while, trying to get this one in the diary. But you know, Peter records his music all, all over the world, and, and he's very, very. Well-travelled man uh, throughout his his younger years up to now, so it, it all adds into the, the the plot for this podcast and the chat. It's it's, it's a really interesting chat. This one. Um, before we get on with it, thanks to Scroobius Pip the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, big thanks to Mister Seventy Six for producing this podcast. Um, if you like this podcast and you would like to hear some more, then I'll suggest you go and have a look in the back catalogue because. There's loads, And if you like hearing musicians talking about the records that have shaped their lives, then there's no shortage of that available in the back catalogue. And if that's still not enough, then I have a Patreon page. Over on that Patreon page, I put a new episode up each week as well that's not available to the general public. Um, Also, there's merchandise and there's art prints and there's all sorts of stuff. And there's only one place you need to go, and that's www.com. Dot off the beaten track uh, Also, uh, if you like hearing uh, me chitter chattering on a podcast, you can also catch me chitter chattering about podcasts on the new podcast brought to you by myself, Scrobius Pip, and Adam Richardson. And it's called Pod Bible. Pod Bible is the bi monthly magazine that the three of us uh, put out in association with. Acast and Spotify and we now have an accompanying pl- uh, podcast and on that podcast you get to hear all of your favourite podcasters um, from No Such Thing As Fish, Kate Thornton, Ad Lloyd um, telling you about their podcast and the podcast that they enjoy listening to. Um, it's a short it's a short podcast, we we'll try and keep it to about 20-25 minutes, um, so uh, it's like a little magazine style show. So if you haven't checked that out, then please go and uh, check that out, it's, uh, it's on all the usual places, and, uh, and if you can't find it then just have a look on one of our social media pages because me, Pip and Adam will be telling you all about it. Um, I think that's, uh, that's me done with the, uh, the credits and the advertising bits, should we go on a podcast? Please enjoy Off The Beat & Track podcast with Alberta Cross. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year and they're based in South End-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fair Wear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. Because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat & Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat & Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. We are in... Uh is it Kensal Rise or Kensal Green?
2: Kensal Rise, I'd say. Or right. like North or North Notting Hill. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's possibly the wettest day so far this year. Um, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm in this really cool studio. Uh,
2: the it, Fox Den.
1: The, is that what it's called? Yeah. The Fox Den. Right. We're coming, <laughs> we're coming live from the Fox Den. We have
2: a fox living on a roof.
1: Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and that voice you can hear is today's guest. And uh, that's Peter from uh, Alberta Cross. Hello. You all right? Yeah, good man.
2: Yeah. Thanks for coming over.
1: Thank you. <laughs> um been trying to get this one sorted for a few months now. I've been having some back and forth on the on the social media, but um I appreciate you giving up some some time today to to have this chat. Um we've never met before, so it's no. the first time we've we've met and we've been having a a little chat before we press record. So I've been mindful not to sort of talk too much music before we start, so I don't want to uh miss anything or have to repeat some of the the stuff I've already said. Um We always start this podcast uh, with track one, Peter, and that Mm -hmm. is the song with the greatest intro.
2: Yep, Sigur Ros. It's always hard to pick like one track, but uh, I feel like this one was uh, really hit me when I first heard it. And uh, I'm not sure how old I was when the record came out, but maybe mid teens or something. And um, I remember that my brother. Uh, told me about them. They just tour the first tour was like with a Radiohead, I think. And um, they were playing a show in Berlin. And I flew down, and my brother was living in, living in Berlin. He's nine years older than me, also a musician. And he's been b- kind of brainwashing me into what he's been like in my, during my childhood. Um, but yeah, so he, he told me about a gig they were doing down in Berlin. So I flew down from my hometown, Uppsala. And um, that's. Wh- Sweden. That's Sweden. Yeah. And I went to see the show uh, and it was at this place called Columbia Fritz, I think, close to Tempelhof in Berlin. And it was like uh, very cold, grey winter. The venue was pretty small, maybe four or five hundred and pretty much everyone in there smoked weed. Right. And I was, you know, I don't know, fourteen, fifty or something. <laughs> I just remember watching this band just like blow me away and uh, i guess i must have been very stoned without smoking because mm. everyone around me smoked and it was an incredible experience
1: and that must have been super exciting a full team it
2: was yeah i it was incredible yeah and um and i guess like that that album the first and the second cigarettes records i just remember them being really important you know living i guess living in sweden like dreaming away dreaming of like moving to london or wherever Maybe I was a bit older than 14, maybe like 16, I can't remember. But, um, you know, I used to... I remember I worked um, at this airport in between Uppsala and Stockholm, Uh, like extra to get some extra cash. And I used to listen to our record on the bus journey there. It was like that record and some early Verve. Yeah. Yeah. and that was kind of like my soundtrack.
1: <laughs> what Verve? We're talking Northern Soul and, and uh, um, Storm in Heaven. And
2: yeah, I mean, I loved them. Re- like, uh, those records were, records were great. Um, but for some reason, like, the first solo record from Richard Ashcroft, I guess, hit me. That was a bit later, maybe. But that was an important one before I moved to London, I feel. That was like my transition record. Just like when the really? first one solo. But the early Verve, I guess. If you look at it from me looking back from it now, that's probably the most important. Like Northern Soul, like history, it's probably my favourite track. Yeah, it's that a one was supposed record. to be on this list, but there's too many songs to pick from. You so. can throw some other ones in. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's it's really weird. I, I, I've seen Richard
1: Ashcroft play. I saw him play a, a very small gig. Uh, um, uh, what's the venue next to um, Camden Station? Oh, what's it called? Uh, oh God.
2: The next to Camus, well, bar flyers. Oh, next uh, no, electric ballroom.
1: Ballroom, yeah. yeah. So I saw him do this this secret show there, hmm. and uh, and I, I see I saw Verve very early on. I saw Verve support the Smashing Pumpkins, right? Um, when Pumpkins were playing Gish, hmm. and so it was kind of a very different Richard Ashcroft to what you see now. he hmm didn't have shoes and socks on, and he was... Mad big, Richard. The, the, Mad Richard, exactly. <laughs> I was about to say the press called him Mad Richard then, and it was way more psychedelic uh, and heavier sounding music, you know. Yeah, I just thought it was incredible. And, and I also think that The Verve have some of the greatest names for albums. Urban Hymns and A Northern Soul, mm-hmm. just incredible names for records. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but I've I got to admit, when I first heard... I quite liked Song for the Lovers, Mm. but the album just didn't cut it for me
2: I think that was just, yeah
1: it was quite a grown up record it, felt it was
2: interesting but I felt like he was singing I guess I always loved his vocals mm. and um, and like I don't know I just it was just certain vibes I guess it was production as well like New York and these kind of tracks were like I mean if I would listen to him now and compare him I would yeah. probably obviously like not pick that record but he came out like doing a like a it hit me hard that time basically yeah I don't know I had to yeah
1: what was the name of the Sigaros track you want to pick because you can pronounce it because you're going to pronounce it better than me
2: um I actually I can't speak Icelandic at all and it's a weird language because it's like uh, it's basically the Viking language yeah it's like all the Scandinavians from mainland travelled to this island and the, the language never changed um it's something with angels, Svendi Angels. Sven. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> <Yeah>. I've got. <laughs> What's sp- the bra- Basil
1: pronunciation? Svenge <laughs> Engler.
2: Yeah, it's something but angels.
1: Right, okay. Yeah. Um, been to Iceland? I haven't. No, really? Before.
2: Actually, I have been to Iceland, but it was only uh, a transfer from uh, London to right. New York. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cool place mate it's incredible I remember flying over it uh, coming down to land and it was just incredible yeah I love to go yeah and there's like one on the list for sure yeah it's just a really
1: quirky place and it's like you, you can tell that they're proud of their music
2: mm. you know? and it's a great festival there called uh, Iceland Airways that's right yeah and that was yeah it's always been yeah I've been close to playing it many times yeah. it's always been kind of on the list and then we like missed it or, but hopefully soon one of the really weird things w- w- when I went out there was
1: uh, you just presume everything's going to be cigarettes and Bjork and, and mm. sugar cubes and stuff, and it's, it's the the, the architecture is really bizarre. Like no, no two places look the same out there, mm. and in the middle of it is just this what looks like a Camden pub. And Damon Albans has got his own bar in yeah. Reykjavik, yeah, and uh, and it just looks like a kind of dirty little North London pub. It's great. What's it called? Oh God. I can't remember. I can't mm. remember. But uh got to check that one out. Yeah, absolutely, mate. <laughs> um Okay. Track two, P. Uh, The first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you.
2: Right. Um, so oh, I picked Bob Dylan. hmm It's alright, Mom Only Bleeding. I was but then I was thinking as well about a Tim Buckley track, Sweet okay. Surrender. Oh beautiful. But because. Um, I guess what happened was when I first moved to London I started to listen to all the greats because um, I guess when I grew up and I was you know I grew up in a music family my dad was a musician my brother older the brother was a musician so and then my music that I was into when I was in school was I was kind of a rebel so it was more like um, well, a lot of kids in Sweden were <laughs> kind of rebels so it was a lot of like heavier stuff and more Alternative kind of music that what was like? the first hit me. Well, it was like heavy stuff, like Refused or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was, um I don't know, like I was mixing between that and more like soulful, emotional stuff. um um That was kind of like what I was into. But then when I first moved to London, I guess I got really into. I used to walk into like HMV and Flop and all these record yeah. stores and. They always had sales on the greatest records. It was like five pounds for, yep. you know, incredible records yep. that were just in the front row, like yep. sitting there looking at you.
1: Pet Sands and Astral Weeks were mine from them bought yeah, both of them. <laughs>
2: exactly. And it's like five pounds, like ten yeah. for two. It's crazy. So I just bought so many records. I spent most of my money on that, probably instead of my rent. Mm-hmm. So I struggled to pay the rent, but I had loads of records. So I, I remember like, you know, I bought so many Dylan records. That's one of the tracks that hit me hard, and also like, for as a vocalist, I think Tim Buckley was just huge for me. Was uh, Jeff
1: already on your radar?
2: I'm not sure who I found first, actually. Maybe A little, yeah, actually, probably like from even from Sweden. Uh, Grace was pretty big when he came out there, but um, I just remember Tim Buckley for some reason. It felt so real, and it was a record called "Greetings from L.A." Yeah, um, that's really soulful record but kind of filthy and like really yeah. gritty record and yeah. you can see that he's in a weird place or you can really hear that he's in a weird place there and he sings incredible and i just remember like a song called uh, sweet surrender i used to listen to for like a year <laughs> they hit me hard and um when you say hit you hard emotionally what was that emotion i guess it was new for me because i i mean i grew up literally in listening to so much music like my dad brought me to studios always and it was you know he was working quite a lot of big studios in stockholm and i was sitting there listening to a lot of the folky and bluesy stuff coming out of sweden uh and i was i love that stuff and i didn't show much interest to like older records and um i might have heard them but like i never really cared too much because i listened to my stuff because i was you know but then like coming to america or coming to london i feel like um it's just the realness of it just the pureness, you know. But Why?
1: I mean, just picking up on some of the things you said already, you know, even like working at an airport and stuff like that, why was there a yearning to come to the UK? What's that? Why was there a yearning to come to the UK?
2: Um, I guess a lot of the stuff I listened to was like either from here or the States, but I think mainly here. You know, like I said, that was a big like, Fan, but obviously, a lot of the Brit stuff came out at the time, yeah. You know, I was into a lot of it, and if so,
1: is this sort of mid 90s?
2: I guess, I mean, I didn't move it till uh 2000 something, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the 90s was like a lot of Brit pop stuff, obviously, and I was into a lot of that, like, um, and I guess the whole like just something that looked very interesting, yeah. grew me in kind of i don't know it's just Is everything it, the whole culture like um and the the realness of it i think sweden sometimes i mean it's a different kind of thing it's yeah. a lot of real stuff there too but it's just different yeah know? and that's what i was used to and when you watch stuff here like the way this you know if you talk about richard ashcroft like the way he's singing lyrics like the, like he means it a lot yeah. when he sings it and you can really feel that and um you know that's what i wanted that's what i wanted to be i guess like Someone that really sings from the heart and it's yeah. no, you know, no bullshit. This is, yeah. just comes out. So,
1: so for me in 19, the mid 90s and, 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 and towards the end of the, the 90s, you know, living so close to London, you know, it was really exciting when Britpop was happening. You could yeah. go to Camden and you you would see Graham Coxon in a pub or you would see, <laughs> you know, these people were accessible. Yeah. You know, you would see them and, and, and it felt quite exciting living sort of 20 minutes from there. So to see it from another country, it, it must have looked quite exciting because at that point, I guess the UK was throwing out some of the greatest music in the world. Yeah. Um Did it deliver when you got here?
2: I think so. I mean, I guess. Well, you're still here. <laughs> I'm still here. I didn't have a like 10 year break in America, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I, I think so. I, I just feel like when I'm, when I moved here, I just really embraced, um, you know, just, I don't, I think everything it was just such a big change. So I'm, I'm like, I moved from a small town in Sweden to like, <laughs> to London. Whereabouts? Um, and I was a teen, you know, I was so young. Um, I just remember like my, my brother and I was playing music in the bands and stuff in Sweden. I just remember like, I was kind of really over it and, um. And like my, my dad and my brother, older brother, kind of told me that I was like, basically forced me to move here. <laughs> really? But like, if you don't move, you're a loser, kind of pretty much, Yeah. in a nice-ish way, but not really, um, just because they knew I wanted to come here.
1: Did you come here on your own?
2: Yeah. And then they booked me in, like in Sweden, you can book in, it was like a business English course or, or yeah. whatever it was, like some advanced English course. Yeah. Could you so speak then- English? Yeah, I mean, everyone in Sweden, like, I grew yeah. up with it, and my, you know, my brother lived abroad forever, my sister lived abroad, and Yeah. my dad, you know, he kind of spent time when he was young, like, up in Lancaster, so I've always had, like, we travelled a lot as a family. Um, yeah, so, now I lost what I was talking about. <laughs> Where did you come
1: to when you come to London?
2: Oh, yeah, so, so, uh, so the, the that course got me to the kind of Sweden you get like a loan and they student loan and they kind of you know I could go there for like three months and I was supposed to just spend three months there and um, that turned into whatever nine years or something yeah like. um, I moved to the first place was that in Greenwich I think some random student apartment and then after that I moved to, pretty quick to Baker Street and I was living in this uh, high rise uh, like this skyscraper kind of just quite close to Baker Street station yeah um, I just lived there with my buddy, and uh, he used to work in a pub, and I used to go and drink a bunch of free booze there. And we used to close it down, and we had a jukebox, and that was kind of like when we listened to. Oh yeah, I guess it was still a lot of Britpop stuff, but just a bit of everything. But, but I think the the sit in itself inspired me to like. I just felt like because I was there alone, I wanted to get into. I wanted to learn more about music, you know. Um, so that's when I start to listen to like all the greats, basically. Yeah. Because so you know I did all the alternative rocky stuff, and then I, I did like the Britty Brit pop, like Verve stuff, or whatever. And then I was just like, never really went to that, like the source.
1: I think that's a natural thing to do, isn't it? I think yeah. if you if you're really passionate about music and and you're experiencing, you know, growing up in the in the nineties and experiencing that boom of mm. of music and so much of the you know, the Britpop Pop stuff would reference the Beatles, the Kinks, Beach yeah. Boys and things like that. so much of that was being referenced by all of these huge bands. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a natural thing to then kind of go backwards and, and, and find the stuff that yeah. was, you know, the stuff that formed the sound of, you know, the bands that you're currently listening to.
2: Yeah. And I think like I was also very... Because I got it through my, my brother was into all that I mean he was more into yeah, the patch mode and these kind of things. Um but he kind of got me into a lot of the stuff, like, I was definitely quite young to get some of it back then, I feel like, but because I had him, he pushed in early, so a lot of my mates did listen to the same stuff.
1: That's great, though. It's like, doing this podcast, the amount of people I speak to whose musical tastes have been so influenced by having older brothers or sisters whose it, record collection, they'd just go and, you know, rifle through and find these yeah. these little gems. Yeah. But you mentioned Depeche Mode, so let's... let's 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 talk about that so for uh, track 3 the song reminds you of your time at school
2: mm-hmm. I remember um, well talking about that like my older brother was, was so into Depeche mode and he was um, kind of like a synth goth dude yeah and he was you know v- loads of electronics had a studio in the garage like behind we lived in a house in the suburbs and he had like a studio in the back of the garage basically with a bunch of synthesizers and all drum machines and so I kind of, you know, yeah, I used to go in there a lot and listen to what they, what they were doing. And yeah, the Pesh Mode was definitely one of them, and like craft work and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, he used to listen to the Songs of Faith and Devotion, Black Celebration, Violator, like on repeat, basically at home. My whole <laughs> That was like over a, quite a few years. The,
1: I mean, for and, me, what you've just said there, And I guess Music for the Masses, they're they're, they're the greatest things that band have done as far as I'm concerned. absolutely. For Uh, me, it's
2: like Songs of Faith and Devotion is probably the one that hit me the hardest because it was so real, like just so much soul in there. And he was going mental as well, Dave, so the
1: singer. uh, I literally (laughs) was speaking about this to, I can't think of who it was, um, a little while ago, and I was saying that I saw them on Violator and he still was kind of quite clean cut with his quiff and then... I picked up a copy of I think it was Q magazine, and there was Dave Garn on the front with his shirt off, covered in these new tattoos, with this long hair, and I was like, "Dave Garn's become a rock god. What's yeah. what's going on?" And then all of a sudden, Alan Wilder's playing drums, and and it was like, and then I heard "I Feel You," and yeah. it's like, "What? Wow!" And then I, I saw them on the uh, devotional tour. And it's still to this day the greatest show I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it was, as you said, it's his voice. I mean, stuff like condemnation, he's, he's, vo- he's vocal on that and live. He nails it as well. He's mm. just, have you seen them live?
2: I've seen, I saw them. Well, I didn't, I saw them live at Barclays Center in, in Brooklyn, uh, like a few years ago. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and that was great, but it was, I wish I could have seen them back then for yeah. sure. Cause uh, my, my brother went to see a lot of shows and, is it's kind of like how the best show should be. You get, go and get cleansed, basically. Yeah. It's like a spiritual
1: complete <laughs> trip. Uh, unfortunately, after that too, I think Dave Garner had to go and get cleansed properly. Yeah. Like he was as much as he was one of the greatest showmen I've ever seen. I think he was in a bit of a bad place around oh then God. as well, wasn't he? Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean the, the, the actual track you've chosen. if Remind me, mean, was it Walking uh, in My Shoes? Yeah,
2: Walking in My Shoes. Piano line on that. Yeah, I mean, it was hard to pick, because like, I remember, the, I guess the, one of the first songs that I got really into was Stripped, oh. so was, it was in between them two, and, um, and I was sort of thinking about that one for the intro, cause yeah. Well, I guess it's the live intro, because if you listen to the record, it's not the same, but live, they used to have a long intro for it.
1: So on the Faith and Devotional, uh, if you watch the Devotional live show, it's not on the yeah. live album, it just starts with that synth.
2: Yeah, and then <laughs> the <tong> motor, <laughs> motorbike <laughs> yeah. thing. Oh, so he good. It goes on for a long time. It's built. It's incredible.
1: So good. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and he um, he's just got this way live, Dave Gone, of dropping in that kind of rock star yes, and let me see your hands. And he nails it at the right time every <laughs> single time. He's just the the, the the don of it. He really is. Yeah. Um, Right, so talking about school, um did you enjoy it?
2: No I definitely not I've never enjoyed it really I guess it's like the whole thing of being closed in with a bunch of people you know and um I went to music college, too, and I didn't like that either. This is all in Sweden. Yeah. Um, I really didn't like it. It was also kind of weird because my my dad, he's like, you know, he's a producer, a guitar player, and he's really he's done well. And he's, um, you know, really amazing on playing guitar and everything. He was self-taught. He never got taught playing guitar or Mm. anything. He He doesn't like. You probably play a g know what a G is but like he if you he've played a solo you were asking about the notes you'd have no clue you know yeah. but that's probably why he's really good yeah to me like yeah. he's never and that's the same thing like when i lived in new york, you know i was in new york for a long time and the musicians over there are incredible but the people I went to like berkeley all these like amazing schools you know i remember doing a um an audition for drummers in New York when we first moved there just to find a drummer we had like you know 40 people coming down or something um, and really really struggled and there was people coming from Berkeley and all these places but they were like too clinically good and like kind of boring didn't feel it didn't feel it really and for us it was more like if you played a shuffly high hat like play that shuffly high hat you know yeah it's a difference from it's a difference from like when you really have that feel um, so a lot of people that played with you know that was in my band uh on the last record they like they're basically saying that like they have to get the berkeley out of their system yeah <laughs> you know and they a lot of them went there yeah but then they had to like really forget about it and then they're really then they can find that like thing that you have the knowledge but you also like you know it's hard because uh, yeah depends i guess it depends what music you play but, it's, um, it's
1: really strange isn't it because if you 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 try and tell people that maybe haven't been in bands or played in you know haven't played like mm. with, with a band you could watch a session drummer mm. and go, "Oh my God, he's incredible yeah, but unless what he plays feels right for yeah. what you do yeah. it won't work will it yeah it's uh it, it's quite a you can't really explain it without hearing it i guess mm-hmm. right um so I guess those that are the best session players are probably the best for a reason they can do that they can turn that on to whatever
2: exactly and i i think like i guess that was the last thing i remember with school like you know my first instrument was guitar and i was always really like um you know i was more of a singer and a songwriter than a guitar player yeah and i feel like i can play guitar pretty well but i play it you know i'll hit the notes i want to hit and I'm, I've never been about like doing fast solos or loads of, I don't feel like I need it. And I was, I've been lucky to have musicians. I can do it like, yeah. it's for me if I needed a lot yeah. of that. But, um, so like, get you know, I remember just like not going to my guitar lessons because the guitar player was like, t- Oh, the teacher was more like, this is how you play guitar. You have to play yeah. this way. Like always trying to teach me like the right way of playing. And then like, looking at him and I look at my dad for example that played probably only the wrong way Yeah, and I'm like well you don't even play that good guitar and my yeah. dad is like pretty amazing on what yeah. he's doing he might not know what notes he's playing but they're pretty good notes when he plays them you know
1: yeah. but that's why I guess he's a school teacher and not a musician
2: exactly <laughs> so like it was it was kind of interesting and also like I guess him it's pretty fun because like, he knew always he knew who my dad was and, and um, so it was just kind of fun that like he must have been pretty pissed off that I didn't go to his lessons. Yeah. But then he was like, probably thought that my my dad was like, yeah, if you don't want to go, don't go or something.
1: (laughs) Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up and get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So music was
2: encouraged at school? Yeah, I mean... I don't think a lot of, so like in college, like I don't think a lot of people came out of that music college, like do music. And mm. I was probably like the worst person on guitar and a lot of other things. I, I had drums as a second instrument, which is um that was incredible. I think that's always like that's helped me out a lot. My drum teacher was amazing and it's just fun and felt like I was pretty good at it and it's been helping me a lot with writing music, writing songs, like producing records, everything, like just the I always think about rhythm and like grooves.
1: So we we should say Albert oh, across is fundamentally you, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, and so when you record an album, do you record it pretty much all yourself?
2: Depends. It's been like I guess um, the first record we did when we lived in England, uh, we pretty much produced ourselves, me and Terry. Um, and then when we moved to America, we we, we like tried a few pretty big producers. Uh, which was great for the experience and we, I think we learned a lot um, but it was also a lot of times it was a pain in ass because mm. cause they were they were normally tricky and like really hard people to deal with I think and um, you know I, I just find it like some, some stuff that happened along the way like I remember like you know we did a record called Songs of Patience in LA and we had like a big very big shot producer there, and we had like almost everything done. And I remember doing pre-production in in Los Angeles, and we had like a song that we, he didn't like the bridge or something. He was like, "Oh my god, we!" And we had like two, we were two days away from the studio at the time, or something. and he was like freaking out about it. I'm like, "It's only a bridge. Like, yeah. let's put two chords there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not end of the day, like yeah. end of the world. And I just felt people just, I don't know, it's just ridiculous. Um, I, you know, it's only music and I, don't know, I learned from them, but at this point, you know, then the record after that I produced myself, uh, with this guy called Claudius Mittendorf, that I was doing like, I mainly mean, the the sound and kind of produced it with me, but I wrote everything and kind of did most of it myself. Do you prefer that? Like, And this record was kind of like, it's similar, like me. Oh, I, I met the, um, this guy called Luke Potashnik here in London. And, uh, we kind of just me and him just did the record he produced it you know in his studio but just me and him so i feel like we you know it's our journey (laughs) For working that way yeah i i I think so especially like now when i feel like i had all experience with bigger producers and it's not like i feel like they i guess it was good for us in one way but i didn't they didn't make the records better i think there's more uh, i appreciate their craft but i feel like i kind of I'm, you know, I'm a producer as well, really. So yeah, I don't really need them, I guess. And anything.
1: you know what sounds you want more than anyone, right?
2: Yeah, pretty much. And like, you know, just sitting like in my studio here, writing stuff. I just, you know, it's nice. It can be a bit lonely. Yeah. With no one around, but um, it's a good way of writing it, and then like think about production ideas or how you want it. And I guess it's purer because there's yeah. not too many people involved. Completely. <laughs> yeah. Completely.
1: Track four the first song that you bought from a record store
2: yes smashing pump it was definitely smashing pumpkins it's interesting because i haven't listened to like a lot of these tunes in a long time so it's good yeah. it's a lot of memories so yeah talking about smashing pumpkins is um i guess the um, summer stream was a huge record and that track particular um was um one of my favorites Uh this song. um yeah it was a new- i had a friend that literally had it was like the biggest mushroom Pumpkin fans ever. <laughs> I think he had 52 records with them or something, like all the bootlegs. Um, and knows every track. But yeah, I thought that record was, um, you know, it was an incredible record. It's so it's many an good songs. Album. It's like no fillers on that record. Yeah. And uh, he was in a great place. The band was sounding incredible. Like appreciating band these days as well. Like it's not loads of bands yeah. around you know and talk about Verve or Smashing Pumpkins or Depeche Mode it's like it's, it's like a lot you know it's incredible you know the, everyone in the band did something he might yeah. have written them but you know
1: and I think Depeche Mode are a massive massive influence on Billy Corgan yeah um, did you ever hear Smashing Pumpkins do Never Let Me Down Again
2: I think so yes there was
1: an album called For The Masses And uh, and it was a Depeche Mode covers album. And Mm. uh, there was all manner of weird bands on there, but um, Pumpkins done Never Let Me Down Again. Mm. And there was, uh, I think, Rammstein done, Stripped. (laughs) That was like a pretty crazy (laughs) version. Oh, my God. But, but yeah, I think at at that point, I think Smashing Pumpkins, they were owning it, weren't they? I think Mm. just the... I think the lead single was today wasn't it yeah and that video on MTV was just you couldn't get away from it could mm-hmm. you and it was like just I'm trying to think of the other singles that were on that, that was 1979 no that nah, was no
2: that was later on was it yeah yeah that was definitely that was uh, melancholy that was on melancholy yeah. wasn't it yeah with bullet yeah that That's an incredible I think the whole I mean I guess I just listened to the whole record from start to finish um, back when you did that it's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think, like,
1: the current lineup is pretty much the full band again, isn't it? Uh,
2: Darcy, the the key, uh, the bass player, is not playing. It's James and Jimmy's back in it, isn't yeah. he? Best what? drummer ever.
1: Mate, yeah. he's, he
2: really is, isn't he? <laughs> Ridiculous.
1: Like, some of them drum sounds on Gish just, pff, man, <laughs> I don't know where they, they come from talking about feel
2: as well. He's got a, one of the best, yeah, he's uh, one of my favourite drummers yeah. for sure of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. um can you
1: remember where you bought it?
2: What's that? Uh, I guess when did it come out? I don't even know. 90... or 92? Maybe
1: 92 or
2: 93. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was really young, I guess. Yeah. I think I, that's the whole thing. I think I went and bought it, like, in my hometown um, with my... probably with my brother, because he was... Uh, yeah, and back then people like queued up almost together yeah I, I think he took me there <laughs> and we listened to that uh, it was cool because now there's so much music around so you listen to which is great it's a different way of listening and right. I I really love I kind of like it at the moment like because I can I find out about loads of stuff, and I listen mainly to new music now. Like,
1: are, you, are you talking about the 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 evolution of yeah. Spotify and things yeah. like that?
2: And right. it's it's cool in a, in a certain way because I like I you know I, you find stuff on indie lists or whatever, and you listen to like loads of new stuff, and you find out about a lot of stuff. And I kind of like that, and it's good. F- Personally, it's good for me because um, I don't listen to l- loads and loads of other s- music than you know what i because I'm working so much on music all the time. If it's not like some smoky Coltrane Monk jazz or or like, you know, old soul music or something. But um, so it's really nice uh, to to find new songs, but you'd never listen to records, basically. That's my point. So like back then when that record came out or when my brother bought like Black Celebration when I was a kid or like Songs of Faith and Devotion or whatever, you listen to the whole record. you'd listen to it for a month till like another record came out. Like if it was I remember like the beast it's a beastie boys record that came out and I was listening to that record for like two months, only that record. That yeah. was it. Nothing else. Yeah. You know? Well, and you, it's so you could of, afford, you know, you, yeah, you could
1: only like listen to what you could afford
2: to buy, right? Exactly. And you just listened like so you know every track of the record. That's the thing which which is kind of incredible with the Simon Stream record. Like okay, the psalm obviously is a big one for me, but like I just remember putting that record on and then it went to the end, and I put it on again, and it went to the end. And so I just, you know, I just knew the whole record, not and just I, one song.
1: <laughs> and that's it. And, and so that's that's something that I've spoke about countless times on this podcast with, with musicians as well, as I think, for me, I know when a certain song finishes, I know what song I want to hear next, because that's how I've listened to it, and that's how I imagine the artist wanted their piece of art yeah. listened to listen mm-hmm. to. Um, how do you feel about that as an artist when you put an album together because you must wrestle over track listing and where you want what to sound and where where you want it to be Mm -hmm. and then in an ideal world you want the listener to listen to that as a piece of art, right?
2: Well, uh, yeah. Rather than cherry pick a track. That was definitely like the thing uh, with with, like my last records for sure. Like you want them to listen to the whole thing but because it's changed so much and uh, you know, I, I really see that the whole change is like pre, it's really there. <laughs> is that a
1: consideration now? In the, in
2: so no, it's more like, uh, I feel like for this record, for example, the new record I'm working on, or oh, I've finished, um, it's more, for me it's like, well every, like you can definitely listen to the record from start to finish and it's one piece, like it's a it's a piece of music there and, and it's a journey. But I also feel like each song is good by themselves as well. Yeah. And um, so for us it was more, I mean we wrote a lot of songs for this record. Um, And we took it down to not that many, uh, because my last record, I put 12 songs and it was like a really long and full record with loads of instruments and it was very, very different from my new record. It was, you know, I used so many many musicians on the last record, like, because I knew so many in New York. Mm. So it was incredible. Um, But for this one, it was like the opposite, I literally like closed myself in the basement with my producer and we just sat there and we, a drum, you know we had a drummer that come over and played most of the drums and that was um pretty much it but like um yeah i mean i feel like we 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 just chose the songs we like it was more it's about the record but i guess it's changed the way you think a little bit yeah like it's um th- when i think about a record now it's more like about when i you know start working like artwork for the vinyl or something or for the record sleeve you know then i'm starting to think about like how to finish it obviously all the lyrics on this record is um it kind of sits together of like what i was going through you know moving just my headspace like moving out of new york and being in berlin for a second and then coming back here and like you know my massive change in my life with like family and everything um so that's like you you'll hear that on my record and you'll hear the sound is one thing but um I guess it's not as much like, you know, yeah. I can't really sit and complain too much about like people not listening to to my record from start to finish because yeah. I don't do that with records, you know. I don't have that patience with records yeah. now, and like with with people that I love, like, yeah. if it, it might be like two artists that I do that with, yeah. Possibly, maybe not even them. Yeah. You know, I remember like the War on Drugs record came out, and I don't yeah. think I listened to like it from start to finish. Really. <laughs> and I love that band, you know, um, so, but. I, was, I definitely heard all the songs on it but yeah. I might have jumped in between them yeah. or, you know so this just it is. this okay so
1: let's go back a few years uh, for the next track the track that reminds you of your years clubbing
2: right yeah so it's going back to the early days in London in right? London right yeah. okay so yeah I just remember like as I was exploring and going mental in the city of London the beauty that is London you know I just remember like you know the, I guess it was it's just, it's just funny that like the, that Joy Division track is played with <laughs> the like just played everywhere all the time Yeah, it's in, like impossible to there will never hear.
1: be an indie disco where that doesn't get played yeah
2: like get played like 10 times in an hour yeah. you know and every time it comes on you feel amazing because yeah. it really fits the, yeah. the the mood and it's quite dark but it's also happy it's, it's a so, pop record it's a pop record and um, I mean, there's an incredible band and, you know, I would say Joy Division was a huge band for me, like living in England for sure. Like it's like after the first years when I was like really listening to the, like we're talking about all the all greats, then yeah. I kind of t- came around and I was starting to listen to all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was a, yeah, it was definitely a period like before I started when I, when I when I played in the other band and we were like listening a lot to like Doc, your Division not like a television and all this yeah. kind of stuff, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a lovely track and it was an incredible band and I think it's like, you know, huge band coming out of this country. It's like one of the biggest influences.
1: The drums at the beginning of that when <laughs> yeah. it comes in, it's just monster sounding, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So where would you be going clubbing? Uh, the only ones I can remember, it was like a place called Trash that was down, it's kind of like behind, in between Tottenham Court Road and Holborn. Yeah, it was huge. It was a huge, amazing club. Errolokan And it was like, yeah, exactly. And every Monday night, they had a night, like at the end, they had a night called Trash. And it was yeah. pretty incredible. And then, uh, you know, sometimes I used to go to, oof, what was that place called in Tottenham Court Road in the basement there? It was like a venue as well. They closed it down ages ago. Uh, it was kind of behind Astoria I guess it was on Oxford Street that was like the entrance next to kind of the I don't know it was a basement kind of a I can't remember the place now and it's, it's, it's weird I've had a few not the 100 Club something Um, but they yeah
1: I've had a few people talk about Trash and mm-hmm. um, for not just the club but the fucking bands that played at Trash yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> Like when you you know, you think like the yeah, yeah, yeah it's just turn up and play L C D sound system. They're just yeah. turning up and playing club shows yeah. like I I never got there. I never got there and uh and I'm gutted, but um the first time I ever went clubbing in London, uh, it was this little venue uh off of Leicester Square called the Gas Club. And uh, and the first night I ever went in there we got in there at like nine o'clock, like naive kids, just got their literally first ones in the club, super excited. And there was this guy DJing, and I went up, and I was always that irritating kid because as an indie DJ myself. I was always tapping people on the show, saying, "What's this? What's this record? What's this record?" And uh, and it was the first time I'd heard Pulp, and uh, oh yeah, and I was like, "Wow, what's this record?" And he was like, "Oh, it's, it's called Razzmatazz," and I was like, "Wow," and uh, and I was like, "I can't call. What's your name, man?" And he was like, oh, "It's Errol." And I was like, "Hey, dear mate." And he was like the warm up DJ. And uh yeah, he got he obviously went on to do trash and he's a very good producer now as well, isn't he? he
2: is, yeah. Terry, uh, that was in the band, he um he knew him, I think. So mm. we we was we asked him to do like a some, we asked him to do like a remix of one of the tracks at one point. Yeah. Like I think. But yeah, he was he was always around. It was a good scene and then like, you know, after I guess tra- trash and all that was like my early memories but then obviously all everything turned like we all sp- started to spend a lot of time out in like Old Street and places like that and there was a lot of really good like clubs slash bars there <laughs> where best? What, what ones
1: uh, I mean so you're talking about 333 and things like that or yeah, well, strong rooms and-
2: yeah well we used to go to strong rooms Yeah, that was like our spot but that was later on I think that was like kind of when I met Terry the first mm. time you know Um, but that was our spot strong rooms it's incredible spent a lot of nights there oh my god (laughs) a lot of booze (laughs) too many drinks too many guinnesses what did you want from clubbing when you went clubbing i guess you just like young you just want to be out and meet people and like just have fun and stay out all night um but it was i mean it was a lot of good music coming out around then when I was clubbing like Trash like they played a lot it was a lot of great bands you know like new bands mixed with like you know they played like Lust For Life a lot that was another yeah. track it was like Iggy Pop Lust For Life or Passenger it was yeah. huge um, but then Strokes came out with like Is This It it was huge as well and, I mean it was so much stuff Is that record a,
1: have an influence on
2: you? Is This It hmm. um, I think it was yeah it was a, it was a great record I think, um, yeah, I mean, I love that record, but it was not like, you know, I didn't want to sound anything like it, but it was cool, it changed the scene a little bit, and there were a lot of bands coming out of, uh, I mean, I guess for me entirely, like, well, Cross, across, like when we started the band, there was so many bands that sounded like Joe Division or Strokes or like Libertines or whatever. That's my we nice question. We, we were really kind of tired of that. Yeah. And that's kind of what we left. So cause.
1: where did that sound come from? Because <laughs> like obviously all the stuff that you've said you was yeah. listening to growing up, I, I guess with the exceptions of sort of Buckley and things like that, mm. but, you know, Depeche Mode and then through to the stuff that was being played at Trash.
2: Yeah. Where did our Cross <laughs> come from? Because it <laughs> doesn't sound like that to me. Mm. Well... I think it comes back to like base like I think it comes back to like growing up in studios with my like with my dad when I was a kid yeah. you know like just everything he was working on it was a lot of you know I, you know he worked with Swedish eyes so like it's no no eyes that people would know here but it was you know the kind of Dylan Dylan-y Neil Young-y kind of people of Sweden or whatever and I just you know I was just always kind of around in the studio and I think that Obviously, left a huge mark, like and carried carry that with me. And you know, the like the passion mode songs of faith and devotion is a huge gospel record, really. Yeah, like, you're right. Yeah, and yeah, um, when
1: you say that, yeah, he's yeah, unlike anything else they've done, I guess. It is, yeah, a, you know, it is yeah, condemnations about as gospel as it gets, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, when I also, like moving to London, like I was—we talking about like Dylan and Tim Buckley, but like I also had like a huge blues face. Like listen to all the old school, like yeah. Robert Johnsons and Bill, you know, Blind Willie McTell or whatever or not. Like just hugely into blues, and just everything. I guess I just wanted to learn it, but I was like a sponge for yeah. basically everything. And um, I think that I think Alberta Across, I mean, it's been a journey. Like we changed in between records quite a lot, and um, the first record was definitely more retro. I think also meeting Terry and talking about the strong rooms, like the stuff that Terry and all his best mates, all from East End, yeah. listened to. Like, and they used to DJ there. Like they played, you know, they introduced. Like I really got into John Mine and Nick Drake and all that kind of stuff. We listened a lot to Nick Cave and, yeah. but also like kind of you know some electronic stuff. Yeah. And I felt like people in. Music fans in England, or in London, like I feel like it's, or in England, well, they have, it's very diverse. People listen to a lot of different things. Mm. Um, And like, if you you listen to Nick Drake, but then you listen to some weird, like electronic record and just mix it all together. Yeah. And um, so I think, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think our sound came out of, a lot of stuff from The Strong Room inspired yeah. it, I would say, like in the late days. Like, we just wanted to get away from the whole, you know, libertines, yeah. strokes vibe. Everyone sounded the same. Yeah. Everything was the same. Nothing inspiring. I never yeah. really wanted to, like, f- follow that stream. Yeah. I was never wanted to do that. And, um,
1: well, it's fashionable,
2: isn't it? It's not stylish. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't feel like. I mean, I did it for a while with other bands, kind of, just, you know. But, like, as soon as I started to write, Stuff about across. I just remember going to Terry's. He had a place in London f- or in, yeah, kind of London Fields area. And he d- we used to just go, I used to go over there and track a bunch of new songs. And they always, they were always like, yeah, I, mean, I guess it was just me, but it was kind of like, I don't know, like John Martin. He kind of like really, yes. you know, weird tunings and quite soulful, reverby yes. things. And um, yeah, we did that kind of the start of the journey, really. And then
1: okay, for track six, let's take you back to, to Sweden. Uh, yeah. A favourite song from an artist from your home county.
2: Yeah. So. Um, you can definitely pronounce this one for me. Yeah. Well, it's Anders F. Rumblum. but in s- yeah, he's he's um, f- it's a poet, kind of like a so Dylan figure coming out of sweden that my dad played with from and produced records with as well so i really grew up kind of like going to his shows and um and um yeah just just always been around and he's he's an incredible lyric right like he just writes the best lyrics ever and um it's a shame that it's in swedish so no english person can understand it you can't translate either because it wouldn't be the same but it's just um yeah, he's always inspired me and, uh, you know, I feel like he's kind of a hero, hero of mine. And going to all them shows at such a young age, mm. I guess it was
1: normal for you because that's what you was brought up in. But did mm. you, was you aware that it was quite a different upbringing and, and you was lucky to sort of experience these things? Or did you just kind of take it for granted that that was who, what your life was?
2: I think so, yeah. I think it was just how it was, you know. Just went to... And I think I was lucky, too, because, you know, I had, um, you know, I had that from my dad, like, in studio with quite retro-y, blues, folk, uh, kind of jazz, rock stuff. And then I had my brother that was more electronic, so yeah. I had, like, I think that was important, that uh, it's really great that he was around, too, and he was nine years older than me, so, yeah. so he's kind of like a second dad, oh. I wouldn't say second dad yeah but we're kind of a big know. second influence yeah, yeah. like and uh, it was a good mix of music like to get you know the craft work and then like some weird folk record and yeah. then, like mix that together and but yeah it felt like it was a normal thing and um it definitely it's definitely helped me because that i feel like i'm you know a songwriter and a singer whatever but production is as important for me like yeah. at the moment and and both my brother and my dad were producers. So yeah. I kind of feel like it helped, definitely helped a lot.
1: Okay, last track. Mm-hmm. The song that many may not know that you would like them to hear.
2: Right. Well, I've, so I was in America for a long time and then for, for a year I moved to LA and we got a house in Silver Lake, up in the hills in Silver Lake. And I got really into um, a lot of soul music. And um, this re- uh, is Curtis Mayfield. Um, there's no place like America today. Was written name of a record, and this track is uh, Billy Jack. But it's also a song called Jesus on there. Uh, that's incredible. Um, but we used to have. Um, so I guess places closed pretty early in in LA. So we always had like people over for dinner and wine, a lot of wine. And jams basically, and there was a lot of musicians around then. And I remember having um, some people over, and I got to know uh, Bo from My Morning Jacket, the keyboard player. And he used to—he told me about some records, and he definitely told me about this uh, Curtis Mayfield record. And um, yeah, I was never like super in. Oh, I didn't know much about Curtis Mayfield. I—I I, I was really into this guy called uh, James Carr. That's an incredible soul singer. Some other things, but um, since then, I feel like. Curse Mayfield's been huge for me. <laughs> I listen to like if I have people over I'll put that record on or something with Curse Mayfield. 'Cause she's just incredible and um uh that record is spectacular. For some reason it's hard to find it uh on you can't really find it in Europe, but it's in America, it's like on all the streaming things. Um uh, but yeah, that record is incredible and the name is it's pretty fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no place like America today.
1: <laughs> he's uh he's an absolute dude and mm. it, it, it was one of them artists for me growing up it was like I knew move on up everybody knew yeah. move on up yeah and then I think when hip hop exploded in the late 80s for me it was like right, where are all these samples coming from and it's like oh that's that's Superfly, or that's no thing on me yeah. or you know that's Freddie's dead and it's like I need to buy some Curtis Mayfield records and have you heard Tripping Out by Curtis Mayfield mm Oh, man, what a wonderful record. Mm. It's like, yeah, he uh, he was one of the ones that, as we mentioned earlier, when you sort of look back, and it's like, right, okay, so I'm listening to the Beastie Boys, I'm listening to Ice-T, and so I now need to know what created this, so I've got to go back to HMV and buy these two albums for a tenner. Yeah. And that was, I bought Superfly Soundtrack, and then that opened the doors to, That's incri- to yeah. Curtis Mayfield. And uh, <laughs> Oh, mate. <laughs> what other soul stuff were you listening to then? Uh,
2: Well... I had like some really old Al Green. Um a bit of, like Marvin Gay obviously, like all the like but James Carr was like terri introduced this James Carr. I loved his stuff. I just feel like he was so real. His voice, I mean it was like, a lot of pain in there. I don't think I've his, not heard anything by him. I don't think his life was like I don't think he lived the best life, maybe. But I, it's a lot of pain in there, but it's got something called love attack, wouldn't it? He? he did docs at the dark end of the street. Um, yeah, it's a few, few
1: crackers. Did you hear the recent Marvin Gaye album?
2: I don't think
1: so. They've kind of found all these studio sessions and, and, and put it together. Right. And it's fucking amazing. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Give it a listen.
2: Wow. Okay. I will do. Uh, uh,
1: make that one of the albums that you listen to the whole album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, thank you so much for giving up your time today. Yeah, thanks for coming. I've I've really absolutely enjoyed having this
2: chat with you. So thank you very much. I'll tell you what, let's talk about the new record. Right. What's happening? (laughs) Um, Well, it's finished. Um, We're looking at, I think it's like late September release, probably. Um, And yeah, exciting stuff. Recorder in London. Going to hit the road. I think we're starting to do some shows in November. I know we're doing some festivals in Germany. But we'll, We'll come and play in England I'm sure and um, yeah I'm excited about it But I'm, um so I finished the record but I'm still like in this in my studio recording a bunch of new tracks so just keep on I'm just writing a lot writing a bunch
1: excellent I can't wait to hear it mate yeah thanks again mate thank cheers
2: <laughs> so there you
1: have it another episode done thank you so much to Peter for inviting me into his home and and letting me spend some time in the studio where I guess the magic he's made. Um, if you still haven't heard any music by Albert Across, um I know obviously Peter mentioned that the new album's coming out. So just go and get stuck into the back catalogue because there is a huge body of work there that's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's beautiful music. And uh, yeah, I urge you to all go and get stuck in. Um, that's me done. Thanks ever so much for listening. And I will see you again next time. Please subscribe and... Ray and do all the usual stuff and give us a follow on all the, the social medias because I'm on there on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, yeah, come say nice things and let's have a chat. See you next time. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts, it's put together alongside Spotify. And Acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean in the first edition there's interviews with Adam Buxton interviews with Craig Parkinson and there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com. It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with it.